Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum, the growth consultancy. Welcome to this very special episode of Account-Based Marketing. Today, we're marking a 10-year milestone for Momentum, the pioneers of account-based marketing. Having spent a decade at the forefront of ABM has given us some fantastic insight into what really creates value and what doesn't. So what better way to celebrate than bring together 10 of our experts to share everything from ABM program design, rich account and market insights, deep messaging, creative, sales enablement, and unpacking exactly what's happening next. Robert, fantastic to have you with us. You've been leading a a consulting team and you've been with the firm almost as long as I have. You've got a massive breadth of experience in expanding programs for tech giants and many of our flagship financial services clients. Why don't you kick us off with what's, what's different in ABM today? Okay, so I, I was I was thinking about this, uh, Alicia, in terms of a kind of broader perspective. When I when I began my career, which was in in tech PR, um, a long time ago, the industry was kind of moving from talking about uh, functions and features, speeds and feeds, talking about benefits. And the question was kind of how can you how can you deliver benefit to to your customers? And I think what ABM has done particularly in the, last, in the last couple of years, has asked a different question. And I think the real question ABM asks is around, you know, how can, how can you help me as the buyer? Uh, how can you help me win in a changing world? And I think there are kind of three key dimensions to that question. The first one is around that idea of the, of, of the changing world. I think that change is happening at a kind of macroeconomic level, uh, at an industry level, at a company level, and and at, at a kind of persona and, and stakeholder individual level as well. So I think that, that that change is multi-dimensional. I think the second key word in the question is around win. Again, uh, win is a kind of very contextualized question that needs uh, quite precise answers because it, it will change according to the company, the stakeholder, the challenge, and so on. And the third key part of the question is, is around the kind of help. So it's, it's not about your product and your solution. It's about how you can help me um, in terms of integrating embedded your solution, whatever that may be, inside my business. So for me, I think ABM has kind of surfaced that that key question of, you know, how can you help me win in a changing world? So I think we've gone way, way, way beyond the idea of ABM as a kind of set of, of, of tactics and personalization into into a much a much bigger shift in terms of sales and marketing. And I think the other big thing about the question is that if you think about, you know, how can you help me win in a changing world, that is not a question that sales on its own can answer. And it's certainly not a question that marketing can answer. So fundamentally, that drives the need for a, a much deeper, engaged partnership between sales and marketing in a way that has never quite happened before. So I think it's that surfacing that 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 key question and putting that at the forefront is really what uh, what ABM is all about right now. I mean, over the last 18 months, we've certainly seen organisations that have gone to help their customers more drive growth, that they've been more successful themselves. And, and that the last 18 months has very much been about 
give not not sell so what, what's your take on, on what's to come if we look ahead to to the next few years where, where will abm go i think abm is going to my, my prediction may be a bit controversial is my prediction is that, is that abm is going to really uh, challenge marketing to kind of rethink what it does i think there are lots of you know shibboleths and sacred cows in marketing that need to be basically knocked over um, for example, you know, how many times have you been in a room with marketeers where they talk about the need to differentiate? I think that's probably nonsense or close to it. I think relevance far, far outweighs differentiation. So I think the marketing needs to kind of come up with a different way of thinking about the challenges. We can step up to the plate in, in a different way. So I think things like differentiation probably uh, pass their sell-by date. I think that there's some fairly lame conversations around the rational versus the emotional that is also you know again out of date i think there are questions around you know how you um, balance brand versus activation uh, the sales activation i think abm is the only tactic or strategy that works across both brand and activation so i think that abm is kind of challenging lots of deeply held, cherished marketing assumptions that we probably need to gently ease to one side. And I think that one of my, I'm not sure it's, it's, a, it's a prediction and more of a hope is that there is a, a ton of work that's been done looking at how people make decisions about the kind of, you know, what are called the kind of shortcuts or heuristics that people use to make their minds up. Uh, you know, how do people take decisions in a, in a kind of enterprise setting when they do not have access to the full information, they do not have enough time. I think much more of that scientific understanding of the process making decisions needs to kind of flow into marketing. And I think that's one thing where I think ABM potentially can really help to transform the very way we think about marketing. Diane, you lead our competitive intelligence practice and you're also an expert in oil and gas. It feels like there's a lot of movement, lots of changes happening in, in that sector. What, what are the big themes that, that you've seen over the past decade? Well, there's a lot that's changed. And, and frankly, earlier this week, there was a real watershed in the industry with the affirmation that climate risk is indeed investment risk and it's perceived that way by shareholders both institutional as well as individual uh, we saw a big proxy fight at ExxonMobil where two board seats turned over led by uh, an activist shareholder that had a very small stake in the company uh, we saw a shareholder vote at Chevron that forced the company's strategy in a direction that they had heretofore not gone, which was in scope three emissions. And then in Europe, we saw a bank in The Hague rule in favor of uh, an activist group that had filed suit against Shell, saying that it was required to reduce its emissions uh, by a very significant amount by 2030, despite the fact that Shell had committed already to be net zero by 2050 or sooner. So the, the tide is turning against big oil, and I think that means they have to rethink their strategy and rethink the way that they communicate with their stakeholders. Interesting. Very interesting to hear that um, you know, huge shifts happening with movement from shareholders, stakeholders, and how it's shifting the landscape for, for these big 
uh, oil and gas firms. As as you look ahead, what's your your prediction for for what's to come for the the use of insights and um, how how the oil and gas sector are thinking about uh, differentiation? Yeah. So I mean, I I think they have always been very good users of insights. I don't know that they've always acted on them. So they are always interested in collecting information. They're always interested in understanding what's going on. Uh, outside of their four walls. But I think that what has to happen in the sector is maybe a little bit more aggressive and progressive action on those insights. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you like what you're listening to, please hit the subscribe button for all our previous episodes and join the conversation over on wearemomentum.com. Kate, you've been um, working on account-based marketing content for several years. You've uh, developed value propositions and uh, market positioning for much, much longer. What, what's your biggest learning over the, the last decade? For me, it's really been a way the decision makers that we deal with consume content. And I think digital is a trend that obviously predates the pandemic with rampant smartphone adoption that we've seen over the past decade. And I think now we're in a position where just over two thirds of executives, certainly at the C-suite level, are consuming business materials on their smartphone. And I think that's probably taken a lot of marketeers by surprise. And I think it's got them thinking about the need to adapt content to suit shifting customer behaviors and trends. So I see our role at Momentum is really about helping clients understand the importance of working in much closer concert with designers and making sure that all of the key messages are delivered in a much more visually compelling way that's fit for digital consumption, that's dynamic, that's responsive and is going to work really well on a mobile device. And I think the other major shift has also been in the adoption of smart tech and martech and the rise of big data. And it's really seen this blend between both art and science uh, in the content strategy world. And I feel like a lot of the science aspect needs to be built into our content strategy planning going forward. And the real success story here for me has been seeing that in action in an ABM context, where it's those really detailed insights into individuals that's going to help the writers create that hyper-personalized content that delivers far greater engagement and return on investment for our clients. Yeah, fantastic. How are you thinking about the role of, you touched on you know, data and science, how are you thinking about the role of creating content? Is it is it data-driven? Is it is it more about the individual and how they're interpreting that data into insights? Absolutely, and I think there's a, a real psychology element that needs to be brought into marketing organisations where you've got marketeers who are traditionally perhaps gifted more on the creative side of things, who are perhaps very gifted writers, working really closely with those behavioural psychologists to understand exactly how we should be articulating messages to different audiences. And I think we're not far away from a world where you know business executives expect a much more immersive and hyper-personalised experience. And again, I think a lot of that is going to be driven by the kind of tech that gets adopted over the next sort of five to 10 years. If we fast forward to 2023, what, what does the world look like? We're in all content is, is, is bite-sized and, and smart form shaped or what, what, what are you seeing? 
I, I think from my perspective, the, the real change is going to be coming in voice-assisted communications, mixed reality experiences, maybe even spontaneous events. I think there's already a real blurring of uh, strategy and tactics between B2C and, and B2B that we've seen prove really effective in ABM. And I think tech is just going to drive more overlap there. So I feel like from a content strategy planning perspective, we need to be ready for that. We need to be able to create content that's far more flexible and adaptable, almost in a real-time context, so that when we see that there's been a shift in the market or something really important has happened in our client's industry or in their particular business, we're in a position to respond to that or to help them respond to that. The biggest challenge there, of course, is delivering that kind of hyper-personalized content at scale and in a profitable way. So that's going to be the most interesting thing that plays out for me in the next decade to come. Tamsin, you have a huge amount of experience in, in B2B, both in consulting and leading uh, marketing strategies for tech and telecoms giants. What, what are you seeing as uh, the big shift in the last 10 years for ABM or in enterprise? Well, one of the things that, um, that brought me to marketing after being for several years in sales leadership was the fact that marketing didn't understand what we really needed. And what I've seen um, over the past 10 years has been um, a really intentional shift to sharing the burden of building that revenue with sales. In the past, uh, marketing had tended to be really focused on um, building the awareness and, and touching that, you know, getting into consideration, but really hadn't been focused on the revenue generation and the KPIs for marketing hadn't really been tied as much to fulfilling that revenue goal for the company. So I would say that the most important thing I've seen has been a really strong shift in supporting sales through marketing efforts. Fantastic. So in, in your experience, are you seeing more and more marketing leaders being savvy when it comes to revenue generation and what that revenue flywheel needs to look like and their role um, as part of it? Definitely. And what I've, what I've also seen, um, and maybe this is part of that, has been that their KPIs have started to be tied to how they are supporting sales. So how that revenue is coming through from marketing efforts that they, that they are doing. There's not only an empathy that's being built, but there's also more communication between, um, between sales and marketing. So what, what we're seeing is that marketing really is um, really tuning in more closely to what sales needs to say to their customers. Got it. And, and given your experience uh, across North America and looking at, at some of uh, the clients that you're working with, what what are you seeing is, is sh shifting or changing the most when it when it comes to either growth strategies or account based marketing? What I've been seeing with with our clients and beyond, and obviously, you know, many of our clients have a global reach, but many are based in the in the U.S., what I'm seeing consistently is that they're creating ecosystems and communication much more closely with their partner channel, with their, um, with their strategic customers, and bringing them closer to product development and other um, really important um, aspects of delivering the right solutions for customers. Of course, that also includes sales because sales is um, developing those strong relationships with those strategic uh, channels. Um, and I think that that's yielding a better result both for the company and the product, but also especially for the customer. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love that. Just marketing, not not staying in that dark room and, and actually working with their ecosystem to, to co-create and go to market. Absolutely. 
what, what's your prediction, Tamsin, for, for what, where we're heading? What's next as we think about the role of marketing in, in revenue growth? That's a great question. Um, my, my, my prediction, I guess you would say, is that um, as, our, as our business customers of all levels um, are facing what has been a very disruptive period of time in the business landscape as well as the personal landscape, that um, we're, all, we're all trying to find a way to reimagine our, our uh, future business. Uh, I think that when you take consideration of what your customers are experiencing and you, you try to solve that problem with them, that creates a much stronger relationship. And I think that we'll continue to see a stronger relationship between, between companies and their customers. Will, fantastic to have you with us. You lead our UK business and work with many of the clients that are featured on this podcast. How, how is the world shifting as, as you see it, as you look at these ABM programs, the growth programs that we're involved in? What, what's different today? Um, I think a lot has changed um, over the last decade. And, and obviously, this last year has, has accelerated things. It's even further. Uh, and clearly, you know, the, the, the shift to digital and digital channels that, that we'd all already made um, has really brought, been brought into sharp focus, I think, for a lot of organisations um, who, um, uh, pre- previous to the pandemic, um, still had a lot of offline ways of engaging with their customers in their marketing mix. And people have really had to find new skills and try new things um, this last year, which I think has accelerated a lot of people's experimentation and, and innovation. Brilliant. Do you think that experimentation, innovation, new ways of looking at things will will continue in, in the future ahead? Or do you think it's back to business as usual? I certainly hope so. I, I'm sure there will be a return to um, to more physical ways of engaging with customers. Already this week, we've talked about you know that the, the possibility of of sending customers DM packs again and, and engaging in in that kind of way, which obviously been off the table for the last last year. And, and I, I know I'm certainly really looking forward to having some going to some events and, and meeting some real people in the real world a bit more frequently than we are able to at the moment. But I definitely also hope that um, the change is here to stay. And and the, uh, the 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 way that clients have embraced uh, the, the 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 digital means to reach customers and the ABM way of thinking about customers, I certainly hope that's all here to stay. Yeah, fantastic. And, and thinking about some of the the change and innovation that we've been on over the last eighteen months, I do do think this this level of disruption has created a bit of a mindset shift. Um, how are you thinking about the the role of of ABM as as we head into next year that uh, and the next decade? I think um, it's it's mindset is is the the right word there, and, and certainly that's what we talk a lot about is account based mindset rather than account based marketing. And I think that that shift um, of way of thinking about ABM is is really really important. As ABM has matured, it's often been thought of, I think, incorrectly as a channel. Uh, or as a way of doing marketing, and actually the uh, the, the ABM mindset and skill set can be applied and should be applied to all sorts of different aspects of engaging with customers, um, not just those that are delivered through what you would call kind of marketing channels. Um, so I really hope that that kind of mindset of having being really customer centric, trying to build real relevance and, and collaborate with customers and co-create and ultimately create value um, with customers. I really hope that that, that shift um, and that way of thinking about ABM will become the, the, the norm for, for most of our clients.
Lenore, fantastic to have you with us. You lead our financial services practice and I'd be fascinated to hear what, what you've seen as the biggest change over the last decade in financial services. Thanks, Alicia. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I've actually been in financial services really my whole career. And it's a question that I've pondered many times over the years. And a lot of times the answer has been not much has changed, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, it's it's a bit of a slow moving industry. And it's sort of a, the more things change, the more they stay the same kind of a, a space. But yet, I would say that over the last few years, that's starting to be a little different. So even some of the things that maybe were being discussed a decade ago as new and innovative are actually finally kind of coming to fruition and being things that are visible in the marketplace. You know, it's, uh, I think, being driven kind of by the B2C side and not just B2C in financial services, but B2C services in general and the expectations that that is setting for people. So, you know, even financial services on the B2B side is still people dealing with other people. So those people have expectations that have been set by the likes of Amazon and Apple. So you have this seamless and easy experience with uh, Apple Music or, or buying groceries from Whole Foods through Amazon. And that expectation is set that your experiences using any digital platform or channel or app should be equally seamless and easy. And I, I think that they're not today. I think there's a long way to go. But I think that the realization in the industry that they need to kind of play catch up is, is there. And there's sort of this added pressure because others out in the world have recognized that there's sort of this unmet demand for elegant, easy, seamless solutions in financial services. And so new players have jumped in to fill the gap. Uh, so the, the fintechs, the insurtechs, all these uh, very nimble, creative companies that aren't burdened by legacy technology and legacy mindsets have kind of stepped in to fill that void. And even some of these other companies that are not traditional financial services players are in the mix. So, you know, Amazon doing a lot of lending to small businesses uh, and uh, getting involved in insurance in some parts of the world. And Apple with Apple Pay and their credit card with Goldman Sachs. Walmart has a sort of mysterious financial services initiative underway. And that has been something that's been, you know, talked about and speculated about for literally decades. But I think something is actually going to happen there. So there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot more activity that I think is going to serve as a wake-up call for the traditional financial services space. Sounds like huge movement over the last few years as other adjacent industries and organizations are stepping into the, the FS categories becoming more and more blurred. What, what are you seeing as the role of insights for financial services? How, how is that shifting? Are they looking less at their, their competitors or their peers and, and more at adjacent markets? Yeah, I think it's still both. And I think it really, you, you can't do just one or the other, honestly, especially with these new entrants kind of coming in from all directions uh, to to really have the full picture. And, and from an insight standpoint, you really need to uh, look at your traditional players and what they're doing and thinking and where they're heading. But you also need to keep your eye on all the sort of adjacent parts of the competitive landscape that could have some danger 
coming your yeah. way. Yeah. Now keep an eye on the horizon. So even slow moving and, and you've, you've seen this over the decades and, and potentially some uptick in, in pace. What What's coming next? What can we expect from financial services? I mean, I think that all of this is going to ultimately lead to a sort of survival of the fittest uh, environment. It, and it probably won't happen really fast just because the nature of of the industry that it is is that it's a bit slow moving, but I think there will be sort of further consolidation, mergers and acquisitions. I think some of these really successful fintechs are going to get gobbled up by established players because they're going to need the capital to to grow uh, and to really gain a foothold. But I think some of the laggards are really going to suffer. You know, they're going to kind of fall behind. They may end up getting sold just for their market share but anything else that they had, their technology, their their products will probably get pushed aside for companies that are more innovative. Adam, you're leading and shaping programs for some of the world's largest organizations like Dell, Oracle. What, what surprised you the most in uh, shaping and structuring some of these these ABM programs? I think really over the last few years, it's been the uh, the role of the CXO in in leading what has been the, uh, the the mass digital transformation of enterprise across almost every industry in every part of the world. They've been at the uh, at the vanguard of that strategically, operationally, and commercially. And I think they're the the one constant thread running through this incredible movement that still still unfolds. So I think from a strategist perspective, there are uh, uh, lots of things that stand out about about their role in this. I think it's interesting as as reflecting back on the last ten years. You know, CXOs you could take the CFO out for dinner and the deal was done, and suddenly buying teams kind of exploded, and lots of teams got were involved in in, in buying decisions. Are you seeing that shifting again uh, as as we head forward and look ahead? I think so. Yeah, I think I think we're starting to see uh, an evolution in CXO relationship with IT. I think there's an acknowledgement that, you know, historically commercial success and business growth has been built around IT. And we've seen the the, the fusing of, of, of CXOs into this this new IT spine within enterprise. So I think in terms of decision making and consensus, there's just an ever growing awareness of the business implications of IT and in particular cloud across every CXO function. And uh, I guess like a growing awareness of their business accountability and how that's tied into their role and how they can drive outcomes and show and prove real value enterprise wide. I think that there's a recognition that they're associated with these, you know, these big existential themes that we deal with every day in the enterprise space, whether it's data to drive performance or prove performance or whether that's cloud as a platform for scale and development or how they can influence end customer experience which is the big driver behind all of this so they're they're all big actors in this theater and I think they all win and lose together and you know the, the the onus is on us as marketers to help them make those big strategic decisions fascinating fascinating to hear that it is isn't that island and cxos actually so much of it is is intertwined and as as we think about where where this goes next as you're thinking about engaging cxos designing programs but for large global firms what are you thinking this will what shape will this take how will it shift um in terms of designing programs i think it is about trying to support their need for problem solving problem solving has always been at the core of the cxo role 
Well, I think that the nature of it has changed somewhat in terms of developing programs that can support CXOs in either solving them or leading others to solve those problems. I guess it's kind of twofold. I mean, there's, there's a leadership question here and giving them a view on a strategy and how they can see that strategy through to execution. But programs that help support them get close enough to the to, to the execution end of that part of transformation, but without without them having to get caught up in the mass of it all. So I think in terms of the, the way we would go about designing programs of CXOs, it's twofold. It's helping them get the level of fidelity and insight into enterprise workings to find those big problems that they have to address but also giving them that level of altitude so they can see and frame the big picture and know what the music's going to do next week, next month, next year. So it, it's, it's all about decisive decisions and, and helping them see, see through the mass of noise and data and insight that they have at their disposal. Mark, you've been leading our creative team for almost as long as I've been with the firm. You've got a huge amount of experience in developing creative strategies for account-based marketing programs. What, what's been your biggest takeout from, from this past decade? I think from the past decade, it's really the way that ABM has grown uh, and the pace at which it's grown. I think it's become very clear that it's probably the intelligent way to really get through to to the right business audiences with the right messages and that whole targeted and personalized approach has been adopted more and more and therefore uh, it's clear that people believe in it and that creatively it has a huge opportunity for for me and my team to look at personalization look at how we target take all of the insight from strategy and really develop uh, compelling ideas, messages, delivery methods that make people sit up and take notice. And I think from Momentum's point of view, um, I think the way we've been evolving ABM in itself is, is also an exciting thing for me to, 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 to see and watch over, the, over the, the past few years because that's what really keeps us hungry. It makes us innovate. It makes us think differently. Um, it makes us listen harder as well. It makes us really take on board the challenges and the concerns of clients and how we can then produce work, communication, ideas and methods that, that will, will, will resonate with their target audiences. So I think this has really creatively helped us deliver more effective work it gives us more, uh, I guess we call it freedom to look at different ways of uh, delivering that key message, to cut through that noise in a way that no one else is doing. Take the insights from strategy and look at them from a different perspective. How do we use them? How do we make get maximum effect, uh, especially now in a more uh, sort of digital world that we're living in? I think clearly in the last, what, 16 months, we've seen a huge rise in the use of social, okay? So maybe three or four years ago, we wouldn't have even thought that social could be such a powerful platform to deliver creativity. But actually, with the amount of animation, video, the, the, the way that, say, LinkedIn have developed their own platform to allow more interesting carousel type of ideas, it opens the door to a whole new sort of world of thinking for us. 
So if you take what would normally be, um, you know, an asset of a, a, a one or two minute video, we can now chop that up and we can take key messages from a, from a main video and target sort of key stakeholders with particular messages. And that really is personalization at its best. You know, we can use that and make it more effective and um, deliver it to the right door, so to speak. Really building that relevance, but leveraging creativity across those channels. Absolutely love it. And in, in looking ahead to, to the next few years, what's, what's your prediction of how creative your, your team and, and the work that you do will evolve when it comes to account-based marketing or, or growth? Well, well account-based marketing and growth, as far as I'm concerned, go hand in hand. I think from what I've seen recently is that our clients want that relationship. Uh, when you look at the customer buying index, the CBX, some of the feedback, some of the, the analytics, some of the research shows that, you know, sales, marketing, they, they want to be able to talk to their accounts on a more personal level. So I think marketing as a whole will become a lot more intimate. And I mean by that, that there's going to be more one-to-one -one conversations going on between clients and their customers, and that there's an appetite now, even greater than ever, for that personalized in engagement and making sure that those that the target audience get that experience that we want them to get. Uh, and you can only really do that by understanding their needs, listening to them, and then delivering the things they want to hear, because we know that those are the things that are going to work, probably in a more human, emotional way. I think emotion is a big driver. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real um, crowbar, if you like, into uh, opening that door to, to say we understand the position you're in and we understand how to, to sort of help you, guide you, partner you to get to the, the results that you're looking for. And I think there's also, on the other hand, there's this thing with creative and human and, and being human-centric. We hear about that a lot. But actually, creative should be thinking about machine learning and AI and how we can use that in a much more intelligent way in terms of the testing and what works creatively, what doesn't work creatively. If we keep delivering things that we, we know work, it's going to make things grow even more. So that, that is very, very important that we, we, we really understand how that all works and how we can make the most of it. And then finally, I suppose, um, if you think where we are now in 2021, there are people coming into the industry that have only ever known sort of digital. They've grown up in the digital age and their point of view, their perspective on how we can do things creatively is just going to explode open a whole new set of ideas, platforms, ways of working. I mean, honestly, I would say we are heading into one of the most exciting times I've ever known in my whole career. Jacqueline, you've spent the last decade shaping marketing strategies, and I know you've been involved in a fair bit of organisation design and, and shaping marketing teams. Um, what, what's been your biggest takeout from, from the last 10 years? Yeah, I suppose my, my biggest learning is people. So understanding people, understanding their attitudes and what drives the behaviour from their attitudes. So, so when I talk about people, I'm obviously talking about customers. You need to have that understanding of customers to earn the right to build that relationship. But I'm also talking about the people who are responsible for driving growth in your business. What I see and what I've learned is that people often get distracted too easily by their own agenda. So their job, uh, what they're 
paid for and what they're compensated on is, is very different from their role in engaging customers. So your role with customers and engaging them is, is how do I add value? How do I help you be more successful as a customer? How do I create the right experiences that are repeatable that they can come and interact with? And that's very different from your job. So that's my biggest learning is is people and, and the nature of people. I think it's fascinating how roles have shifted and as you touched on, compensation models have, have changed and, and what behaviour that ends up driving. And particularly as as you know, teams end up getting larger, and we've seen this with the sales and marketing dynamic of you know, how do those two teams intersect and, and really focus on creating that value exchange for, for customers. And looking ahead, Jacqueline, um, from uh, what, what's, I guess, the, the, the biggest shift that you're predicting, what, what are you seeing that will be different in the years to come? Will it still all be about, about people? Yeah, absolutely about people. But I think for me, the most successful leaders uh, and the ones that are going to have really sustainable growth are the ones that are going to be most like our sports coaches and our most successful sports coaches. And, and what I mean by that is the percentage gains. So, so take something like rowing, for instance. You know, you can put your four best athletes in the boat, but that doesn't necessarily equate to speed of over the water in the boat. There's, there's a lot of elements to get right. Uh, so when you take that back to growth, it, it's, it's how do you look at the market? How do you identify what's changing and and impacting your success. So people, again, how do you understand what their purpose is and what their role is and how they're aligning and interacting with other people? How do you make sure they've got the right skills and that the organization is set up in the right way? Data is another one. Can you measure things? And more importantly, can you act on them? And then capabilities. Do you have the right resources to be successful, essentially? And I think these, all these elements, just like the percentage gains in sport, it's about refining them in an ongoing way. And, and that's the difference really between reaching the final and actually getting a gold medal. Um, and when you look at the choice of technology out there, it's really important because what you don't want to be is behind seven other vendors when you're going to market. Chris, you've led a number of sales enablement and partner programs uh, with us. It'd be fantastic to get your perspective on, you know, what, what's been your biggest takeout from the past 10 years? That's a good question. I think what's what's changed for me over the last uh, 10 years really is, is the sort of the level of sophistication of, uh, of enterprise buying teams. Uh, I'm finding in the work that we do with our clients that they are increasingly complex and uh, increasingly diverse as well. Uh, and that's actually backed up by our, our own sort of customer buying index research as well. I'm sort of finding that, that, that people in uh, even in non-IT roles within enterprise organizations have uh, a sort of a level of understanding of tech products and solutions uh, of what can and cannot be done. It just was unimaginable 10 years ago. Uh, and I think really what I'm saying is that, that all departments are really IT departments now in a, in a way. They've all got a digital need. 10 years ago, I think it was enough to sort of just to sell to an organization. You could just turn up, talk to IT. Uh, say your product was the best, throw a couple of case studies down and kind of be done with it. Whereas now I feel like buyers have all the information about your products and solution at their fingertips already. Uh, and that of your competitors as well, I should point out. They've done their research, they know the capabilities and failings, uh, and they're also fully aware of price points as well. I think that, that level of sophistication has really changed everything for sales and marketing teams looking to sell into these accounts. And what's going to make you stand out now is coming into the conversation with a, a very real and genuine understanding of your account's challenge a range of possible solutions to, you know, that you can present to them, and, and really a, a willingness to bring partners into the conversation. I think that, that the sophistication of buyers now means you need to have a partner ecosystem that is as broad and diverse as possible. And you need to be able to work with the buying teams to sort of develop bespoke solutions that fully satisfy their need. 
I think you know viewing competitors uh, as allies uh, to co-create solutions is is a huge leap forward from where we were ten years ago. And for me, that's the biggest development. And as as you're looking in, in terms of what's changed, are you thinking that the, the the dynamics of marketing teams working with sales teams and partner teams that from a content perspective, it's about equipping them all with the same story, or is it about making them much more customer centric and leveraging that insight? Yeah, it, it's 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 both. I think that, that that sales teams now have to be just more adaptable, don't they? They they have to be really tuned in to the to what's going on uh, on the buyer's end, uh, and that means that uh, having that sort of the, the communication channels open amongst partners, uh, you know, between two organisations is one thing, but but more often than not, we're finding these days that, that the partner agreements are actually sort of three or more organisations that could be working together. So having clear channels of communication is is the first thing. I think that there is a sales enablement piece to this as well. I think that uh, you know, you know, we need to have tools available that uh, that all of the partner organisations can lean into, so everybody's singing from the same same hymn sheet, really. And looking ahead, are you seeing that that this whole landscape will converge? Will it get more complex? What 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 are you seeing as the future? Uh, yeah, there's there's two things I'd like to call out there. Actually, I think that the first is that I predict we will see a, a big increase in the in the sort of the proliferation of of partner marketing agreements and and joint go to markets. We've seen a huge growth in this over the last five years, especially. But uh, I predict we'll see even more in coming years as well. Uh, and that's driven, I think, you know, by that growing sophistication of enterprise buying teams, like that I mentioned before. Uh, they've done their research. They know what's out there, and more often than not, they're coming to a conclusion that, that an off-the-shelf solution just just really isn't going to be enough to help them overcome the challenges that they're facing. I think buyers also know that that, that a vendor just cannot be all things to all men, and and they're, they're very suspicious of those who, who claim that they are, uh, who claim that they do have a solution for everything. Uh, remember, these, as I said, these are sophisticated buyers. They've they've read the product reviews. They've spoken to peers who have experienced the same issues, or uh, or worked with a vendor before at another company. They've attended events and, and, and downloaded all the information that they need. I think what's going to win those buyers over is being able to lean into a, a partner network that has the, the specialisms that your buyer requires. And I think moving forward, if, if, if vendors are, are genuinely focused on, on growing revenue in key accounts, and they will really need to, to act as sort of facilitators um, in, in a sense. They'll need to be able to bring these suitable partners to the table you know, and demonstrate to the buying team that, that not only are you able to harness the skills that they have, but also that you have the ability to build relationships with them and work as one to create a truly unique solution uh, to solve the problem that the account is facing. I, I think that the second point I, I'd call out is around sales enablement. And I think this follows on from the first in, in a sense, because you know, because buyers are more sophisticated and, and, and vendor joint go-to-markets are much more complex, sales enablement tools are just going to have to get better. I think that you know, the days of sort of static PDFs that are, that are updated you know, once a year, the sort of the battle card approach is, 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 is probably a bit dated now. I think instead we need to reimagine sales enablement as a sort of a living, breathing, evolving organism. Uh, I think sales enablement tools will become uh, interactive, definitely, adaptable, uh, easily updatable, accessible to all members of a, of a sort of sales org, but also of a partner network as well, and able to, sort of to, over, to evolve over time to sort of match the changing dynamic at the buyer's end. Remember, these sort of tools exist to, 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 as a sort of a toolkit to give, give sellers the best chance of success. And I can see some big innovations happening in this area in the coming year. It's been fascinating talking about what's working and what to expect with our experts. If you're interested, I've also shared my thoughts over on wearemomentum.com. And I just want to take a moment to say a huge thank you to our team, our clients and our friends. You all know who you are. It's been a humbling milestone to get to and we've got so much more to come. Thank you for joining us and see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum, the growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. You can learn more at wearemomentum.com.